there, and welcome to the Zero Half Hour, brought to you by Zero Hour Health and Zedic, a podcast where we talk with leaders from across the food service industry and beyond about the pressing issues of the day in 30 minutes or less. Our goal is to share ideas from diverse perspectives on a range of topics that matter to every business in the current and post-COVID eras. I'm Rosalind Stone, CEO of Zero Hour Health, and thanks for joining us. Today, we're joined by Andy Forzheimer, CEO of Tastemaker Acquisition Corp., founder of both Barcelona Wine Bar and Bar Taco, two fabulously successful concepts and local favorites of ours here at ZHH. Andy's a true leader in the industry. Andy rose through the ranks from a self-described restaurant rat as a teenager up through culinary school and has gone on to be one of the most successful food service business people in the country. Enjoy our conversation. Good morning, Andy. Hey, can you give us a short bio? Who are you? What you've done? What you're doing now? I know a little bit about your background, but our, our listeners might not. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a restaurant rat from a long time ago. I was a cook um, in high school and college, uh, went to France, trained as a chef, came back, worked through kitchens in New York and California, uh, was a head chef for a couple of places in New York, then uh, left the kitchen rat race when my son was born to go work for Martha Stewart as her first food editor. Um, after that, I was, uh, I did a little bit of writing. I, I did some catering and then uh, I met my future partner who wanted to open a tapas bar, uh, which I thought sounded interesting, decided to do with him. We opened uh, one and then a couple other restaurants, neither of which was successful. So we decided to do another tapas bar, which was successful. So then we just thought we would do those and opened, gosh, I don't know, six or seven, then a Mexican concept called Bar Taco, which was supposed to be uh, street food um, with a busy bar. They all seem to have uh, fans. So we opened more of them that turned into a full-time job on airplanes, visiting small cities and opening new ones. And then there were, and there were uh, 34 of them uh, we sold the company to Del Frisco's, uh, and I was out of a full-time job, which is, is sort of my, my, my role still. I'm on a lot of boards. Um, I spend a lot of time mentoring restaurant uh, startup entrepreneurs, and most recently, I am the CEO of a, a SPAC in the restaurant space, which seemed like kind of a fun idea at the time. <laughs> back in June of last year. Um, but, you know, like many people, I sort of found myself with all kinds of hats during COVID, um, many of which were unexpected. So that's where I am now. Sure. Well, one of those hats was that you led an industry CEO group um, that had really robust discussions um, and sharing of ideas and problem solving, you know, early in COVID. How did you end up in, how did you land in that role and, and, what did you get? What did you get from that? What you know? Where do you think that'll go? Well, you know, right after uh, actually, actually, I was out of the country uh, until March thirteenth, and I landed uh, from Argentina to a phone filled with messages from the aforementioned uh, CEOs and entrepreneurs that that I mentor, saying, "What should we be doing?" Uh, one of whom, a woman named uh, Lauren Bailey, who runs a great successful uh, chain in Arizona, Colorado, and Texas. Um, she was 
you know, looking for any and all advice. And, and she shared that uh, David Burzon from Snooze and she were saying that there ought to be a way to get a bunch of people, you know, with, with a wide variety of experiences together in a format to sort of share best practices and how they were dealing. And at this point, this was still restaurants shutting down one by one and, and uh, um, you know, all kinds of different local laws about who had to send their employees home and who could operate indoors and who couldn't. And, um, you know, she's, she has a full-time job. David has a full-time job. I did not have a full-time job. And uh, Alice Elliott, I, I, I talked to Alice and she said, well, we should do this. And my Rolodex is decent, but nothing compared to Alice's. So uh, the, the first, the first group we put together was maybe 15, 20 people. Um, and we pretty much shared best practices, went around the room. What are you doing? How are you dealing with this? Have you, have you seen this or, you know, what's your, what's your thought process? And, and there were a number of small informal groups. A lot of the private equity groups uh, had these calls with their portfolio CEOs going at the same time. And because I'm on the board of three different private equity group uh, restaurant companies, um, I was, I had some visibility as to, you know, who was handling it, how very piecemeal. Um, Alice uh, and I put together a panel of a few people instead of just having everybody talk to everybody uh, and, and be equally in the dark. We thought it would be interesting to have um, some experts come in. I think uh, Rosalind, you were one of the early ones. Um, so was um, uh, 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 Bruce Tobin. Mm-hmm. who was formerly a Simon Properties because the big question back in March and April was how do we pay the rent? What do we tell the landlords? You know, can we tell them go pound sand? What's going to happen to us? Uh, so having a real estate uh, expert was, was useful. As, as we had these experts come on, I think word of what we were doing spread around mostly Alice's uh, group because we would publish the meetings and sort of conclusions and those would get pass from person to person and people would call Alice or me and say, Hey, can I join this meeting? Um, and you know, we, we, we weren't, we weren't trying to cap it. So we just kept saying yes. And pretty soon we had a hundred and something, um, industry leaders, CEOs, uh, some thought leaders. And, um, that was the group. And we, we maneuvered through <laughs> all the big questions, which tended to be mostly health questions. How do I deal with, with, quarantining people who come in sick or back home, their mother was sick. And now what do I do? The state says I have to do this. And, and the town says I have to do this. And the federal government says I have to do this. So that was one big set of questions. Uh, second big set of questions, as I said, was mostly real estate. Right. You know, my landlord said he's going to evict me if I don't pay my two months of past due rent. Who else is having this problem? How are you dealing with it? Uh, and then as the government programs started the PPP and then PPP2 and then, then um, the, uh, the, the employee uh, retention credit, tax credit, um, a lot of the questions started centering around, well, if I have 15 restaurants, do I qualify for this? And if so, do I qualify for all of it? Or you know, under what legal entity should I apply? Has anybody else been told that they're too big to apply? Do, you know? How did you deal with it? Um, 
So I, you know, there were lots of other small things, but I think the health, the real estate, and the government programs tended to dominate most of the conversation. So that's where we looked for experts. Um, I know Joe Cato was part of the group, and and mm-hmm. you know, certainly there was a void, you know, when when Joe, you know, when Joe's term term ended. Yep. Um, so so you mentioned two of our clients. You mentioned. Upward Projects, Lauren Bailey, and you yeah. mentioned Snooze. They had yeah. really different sets of challenges. You know, yes. Upward, Upward Projects, well, both of them were growing rapidly before, before COVID. Um, breakfast-only businesses or breakfast-centric businesses like Snooze were much more dramatically affected, um, which was really interesting and not something any of us could have predicted that people were happy to do to go lunch and dinner, but less so for breakfast. Um, and many of our restaurant client, clients that were breakfast oriented really had bigger and different challenges. Upward projects, you know, again, Arizona based, the geography of all of this was so, so different, depending upon where you were. And in Arizona, um, there was a tremendous amount of COVID, but there was also a lot of pushback to masks, to state, regu- to state guidance, to federal guidance. So those were really interesting people to have in that, in that group with very different um, perspectives issues, you know, employee populations and the like. Um, so you, um, you quarantined where? Westport? Connecticut. Connecticut, right. Okay. Connecticut. Yeah. Well, Connecticut, yeah. Right. And I'm very, very close to you, close to you there. Um, so for us, what was your first post COVID big event? If you had one? It's <laughs> uh, a good question. I, you know, I, I think, I think COVID has played out uh, sort of less, less in a, in a, in a, a step fashion and more in a gradual fashion. Right. You know, I had, uh, I had, after being vaccinated, I had eight people over to the house mm-hmm. <laughs> inside. That was a big deal. Right. But that then the next level was, I, I really didn't eat inside in restaurants for a year plus. So right. the first time I, I had a restaurant meal indoors was not that long ago. Mm-hmm. So that was another milestone. Um, you know, first time I was at a in, a in a group setting with 50 people, that was another milestone. And they, they all happen fairly organically. I mean, I know people I who agree. were much, yeah, I, they, I know, too. yeah, people were much stricter than I was and just said, okay, here's the day. Now I'll start going out. I, I didn't really do it like that. We, my wife and I spent last summer, uh, a month, month and a half in an RV in, you know, Wyoming, in Wyoming and Montana and, and Washington driving around. And in some places, there was no COVID as far as anybody was concerned. So, so, you know, I had meals outside and on restaurant patios when back East, everything was closed. It was, it was, you know, I think that the, the synopsis of 15 months of, of restaurant COVID experience is that it was very geographical. It was completely different depending on where you were. Uh, The experience in Arizona was not the same as the experience in Florida, which was not the same as the experience in, in, downtown DC, um, people had wildly different COVID experiences. Uh, yeah. and I, and, and, you know, the experiences in cities was different than the experiences in suburbs. Sure. And the experience and the experience in suburbs was different than the experience in Cody, Wyoming. So yeah. from where you sit, how does the industry look, um, going up, going down, um, recovering from this incredible disruptive event? Uh, at the moment going sideways, you know, if you asked me, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I'm still undecided about what the industry looks like in 2024. 
right? But but tell me more. <laughs> um, well, you know, there's there's always been sort of two schools of we snap back and COVID is like polio. It was a thing once and now it's not, and and life goes on. So that on the one hand, and on the other hand, no, this completely changed the way everybody eats and does business and people who used to go out six nights a week are now going to go out two and, and get take out the other four. I, I, I don't have a strong opinion about that. I think I probably, I probably thought there would be more of a full snapback by now. Um, but, but the issue has been staffing. Right. right. So, so, you know, the elephant in the room for, for at least the next 12 months is really staffing. So as much as people might like to go back to out to eat, the way they did three years ago and restaurants would certainly like people to go out to eat um, the way they did three years ago. They can't do it. They can't, they can't staff. They can't places are closed three days a week because they, they can't open their dining rooms. They, they uh, um, you know, they're, they're not taking reservations. Um, so we're in a weird spot right now where if everyone were fully staffed, we could probably have a much better bead on, how well the industry has has snapped back, but we can't tell. We can't, you know, if we opened all the bar, all the bar stools tomorrow, would they be full? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is we can't open them. You know, some people are saying that the staffing issue was inevitable and that COVID may have um, um, precipitated a sooner, you know, it's sooner rather than later, but that the staffing crisis was coming. I think Um, that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, unemployment was very low. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one thing, one thing people don't like to talk about outside the industry is the industry has been held up by immigrants for 50 years, a hundred years. It's not new. Right. Um, and immigration patterns have been way down the, the last administration didn't help much, but even before then, right. You, you, mm-hmm. you, you were seeing a decline in, in, um, immigration and, you know, it's an underpaid, workforce and the people who take those jobs tend to be people who need them uh at whatever at whatever price and there there just aren't very many uh in the country right now and that's been going on for a while so you have that which i which i which i would put sort of at the top of the list and then you have sort of temporary things like the enhanced unemployment benefits but i think the enhanced unemployment benefits are masking something bigger right i mean it's easy to say when those go away people will come back to work but I, I tend to doubt they're all going to come back to work in restaurants. Right? I, would a tough job. I would it's agree. It's a tough job. Right. Yeah. And then on top of that, you've kind of lost a generation, not a generation, but you've lost a, a, a class of restaurant worker that's probably in their 40s, possibly their 50s, who did it even though the pay sucked or it was uneven and, you know, the work is hard. But they like people. They like, you know, they like being part of a, a, a party. They have a, a family of coworkers and, and they just enjoy making people smile. Uh, that's a big part of the industry. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of psychic rewards, the, even if there aren't financial rewards. And the last 12 months, those are gone, right? I mean, you have a mask, people are mad. Right. The room's half empty, half your coworkers aren't there. It's just not fun. And the restaurant industry is not lucrative. So if it's not fun, it's not much. Uh, and I think you had people sort of on the edge of, I'm 45, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think this might have just pushed them over the edge. And so 
when everybody's back to work, you may not see those people. And so that'll be, that'll be a gap. Uh, you know, they, they had the experience, they, in a lot of good brands, they, they were the culture carriers. So, um, you know, I think that, I think of that as more of a, a two year problem than a two month problem. I would agree. We have heard some, you know, some data that shows about 25% of the workforce has left for other industries. That right. they, they're now employed elsewhere. So yep. how we replace that 25%, do we need to replace that 25% well, that's, more to go right. and more automation and, and better technology is, you know, is to be determined and certainly in flux. Yeah, well, I, I think so. In, that's an interesting question, right? Because if we had had full employment and if everybody had said, great, you know, all the COVID restrictions are gone, let's all go back to work. You might have had a certain pattern, right? That looked a lot like what it did two years ago. But if it takes two years to get full employment back, and in the interim, I have to use QR codes on the table, I have to shift, you know, the revenue to drive through and build a drive through for it, then we may not go back to what things were like two years ago ever, because I've now sunk all my money into a new model, or I've opened a new concept that's very, you know, independent of waiters. So, so the labor shortage may have just sort of like, you know, changed the course of the river. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's bad timing or inevitable. I don't know, but that's why I say I'm, that's why I say I'm not as sure about 2024 as I might've been six months ago, because I didn't anticipate how dramatic the labor shortage would be. Right. Some of our clients are telling us that they see some light at the end of the tunnel, that they see, you know, people who've accepted, you know, start dates of July or, you Mm -hmm. know, that are, you know, winding down, getting their kids back to school, back to camp, you know, those kinds of things. And, and, and they think things look better for July, for August, for September. Um, But then we have the resort communities, you know, places like Martha's Vineyard that are dying that have had, you know, we have a a client that ran a job fair there and had no one show up. So, so um, that's going to be going to be interesting. I love that phrase you used culture carrier. In our corporate clients, we would talk about who had the institutional memory. Um, mm-hmm. But but culture carrier in the restaurant industry is is really key um, mm-hmm. to um, what people expect when they when they walk into a restaurant. You know, right. someone who may recognize them, who embodies the the spirit of the of that you know that locale. I like that. I like you that just can't. Yeah, I mean, you can't pay a manager enough to go around and make twenty new employees do things the way we do things here, right? You, what you need is, is four or five waiters on the floor who buy in, you know, who like working there, who walk over on a regular basis to new people and say, no, 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 that's not how we do things, right? I mean, without those people, you know, that you just can't impose that from above. You, you have to have these people who are basically the through line, the through line of what we do. Um, so right. when you lose them, it's, it's a big loss. Sure. And that those people who say, you know, here, follow me, model me, yes. you know, look, yeah. look at how I do it. This is, you know, and, and you're right that that's, you know, that was, but I think that was also a challenge in remote offices that we, when we're all working from home, how do you, you know, you know, how does somebody know how I answer a phone, you know, or, right. or the, you know, the smile that I try to have on when I'm talking to, you know, talking to somebody, cause it, you can hear it through the phone again, hard to, yeah. to model remotely. Yeah, no, I was actually, Malcolm Gladwell did a, uh, I, I was watching a Malcolm Gladwell uh, uh, piece and he said that, you know, when he started out uh, as a reporter, he sat behind Bob Woodward and he just, for six months, he just watched how Bob Woodward 
called people and what he asked and, and, you know, what he was writing down while he was asking. I mean, and he said on zoom, you can't do that. It's, it's, that's a loss. Yeah. Interesting. So other challenges besides staffing, you think this real estate is going to shake out or. You know, real estate just snapped right back to the same pricing, which is weird because retail is hurting. Um, but, you know, restaurants sat on, restaurants basically got enough money from the government to jump right back into um, uh, expansion mode, at least the ones, you know, the, the ones who were large okay. enough. And, uh, and many of, you know, many of the bankruptcies and the, the, the empty spaces that were going to happen didn't. Uh, landlords are, are feeling pretty good right now. The ones in, in, in desirable places. I mean, you could still get a good deal downtown New York, downtown DC, but Texas, Florida, nope. Prices didn't, they didn't miss a beat. Right. Uh, there was a little bit in March through July where if you were willing to, to put yourself out there, you could find some really great spaces that don't normally come available. But bargains, not, not so much. Um, walking around in Chelsea in New York, there mm -hmm. were a lot of restaurants that went, that went out and mm -hmm. there are a lot of new ones. Yep. Almost every space has a new restaurant or, or a restaurant that came back into an, a space that they left. It's very interesting. Some of the experts think that there's going to be another surge. Mm -hmm. And yet much of the industry thinks COVID is over. This mm -hmm. is done. We're moving on. Um, yep. Talk to me about that. Do you think that they, you think that the industry is prepared to ramp back up the precautions if they need to? Do you think the lessons learned are sticking about employee health, about um, the supply chain? I think if the surge started tomorrow, nobody's ready to think that way, right? I mean, people have got to get their P&Ls back in order. They've got to put people back to work. It would be very, very hard. And, and hopefully, you know, the, the the various agencies at a national level will think about this ahead of time and and you know be ready for some sort of staged uh, um, intervention better than they were last time. Um, I don't you know I don't know Roz you're you're the health expert I'm not I do you see a surge happening the way it did last time or you see tiny little pockets in places where people fought being vaccinated which are probably more that's probably more addressable than sort of a nationwide uh, surge like we saw in November, we saw in uh, um, April. What you tell me? I you know I agree. I do not think we're going to see you know massive surges hitting the kinds of numbers that we had before. But I think COVID is a flu, and flu is seasonal. And mm -hmm. and 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 some of what we're experiencing right now is are the benefits of of the vaccination rates we've achieved, which unfortunately are not terrific, particularly in this industry. Right. Um, but that and we're outdoors. The weather is better. Um, mm -hmm. I think those are all contributing factors to the things we're experiencing right, right at this moment. Do I think there's going to be a fall surge of some kind? I think it's very likely, but again, that'll be regional. Um, I don't think we'll see shutdowns like we did. Um, but I think we will need to implement some of the personal protective equipment and screenings and the like, you know, we are going to need to, to ramp back up. I mean, if nothing, if nothing else, the difference between today versus, you know, last April or last November is we seem to have figured out that if you put on a mask, it, it stops the spread somewhat, right? So, I mean, that, that if that gets reimposed, it's not the end of the world for the restaurant industry. Um, well, there are mask wars out there, though. 
I mean, literally uh, mask wars. We have, a, we have a client that literally had a melee in a restaurant in New York over masks, not even in one of the, the states that have really had mask, you know, major mask pushback. But you go in the South right now, and there are very, very few masks. You walk around New York, there are lots of people still masked. It'd be interesting, really interesting to see how that, how that shakes out. But, but the mask wars that are going on currently are just really... I think, I think there's some self-selection, right? I mean, if I'm, if I'm fairly responsible and, and watching out for my health and there's a surge and I live in a place and there's two restaurants, one of which enforces the mask rule and one of which doesn't care, I'll go to the one that enforces it. And, you know, over time, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Those, those will, they will, they'll take care of themselves to some extent. I think, I think as long as a surge is, sort of identifiable with an area or with a behavior, then it can be avoided and restaurants that want to avoid it can. If it's just a, 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 you know, across the board, everybody, no matter how they're behaving or where they are, everybody's getting sick. That's a whole different thing. And then, then, then that would be really rough on restaurants right now. Maybe, maybe not in six, nine months, but if it happened tomorrow, that would be very tough. Well, one of the things that we talk about in, in our business is we are technically past due for the next pandemic. So, you know, one of the things that we're focused on, this pandemic was very past due. You know, we knew mm-hmm. this was coming. Um, you know, you look at cycles and, and it, you know, it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was late, um, right. which means the next one, the next one is late, late also. So it'll be really interesting to see how we, um, how we as an industry um, change, you know, how we, how we build into practices, the things that we learned right during during covid any closing thoughts what's the big uh, next thing what's you know big, <laughs> um you know i think uh, the closing the only closing thought is, is a positive one right people people have money because they didn't spend it for a year they really want to go out i mean i was out in westport you know it happened to be a nice night everyone's full um it's nice to see i don't know if you know i i, I when when there's a hundred percent Indoor, outdoor availability. Um, will all the restaurants still be full? I don't know, but but I, I think we should enjoy it for <laughs> at least at least this summer. Yeah. Um, it's never an industry you can count on uh, uh, for business, even in the best of times. So so I, I would take you know I would take the uh, summer of twenty twenty one as a gift to the restaurant industry and and leave it at that. You know, every day it, it seems harder to predict what's going to happen, but it does. It looks less and less like we're just going to snap back to what things look like in in January of 2020. Interesting, Andy. Thank you so much for your time today. Sure. Let's have dinner indoors. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Thank Take you, Ross. Thanks. That's our show for today. Thanks again for taking the time to join us. Stay tuned for our next episode in your inboxes and on your podcast app of choice soon. As always, if you have any topics or questions you'd like us to cover or have a guest we should chat with, don't hesitate to reach out to us at support at zerohourhealth.com. To learn more about us and subscribe to our twice-weekly executive summary, check out zerohourhealth.com. Thanks again.